break your leg, break the dog and break your leg, break them, break your leg, break the dog. Now I mean bop, 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 bop. All right, so in today's video for sports medicine, we're looking at our next um, critical inquiry question, which is looking at what role do preventative actions play in enhancing the well-being of athletes? So the next few videos are all looking at keeping athletes safe so that they can focus on participation, focus on their performance, and they can perform better because they're not worried about getting injured and getting hurt. So that's, that's the thing you need to keep in your back of your mind when we go through these next dot points. So today's video is actually on physical preparation. Um, so physical preparation is all about what the athlete can do prior to exercise to make sure they don't get hurt. So let's get into it. Okay, so our first dash underneath physical preparation is pre-screening, okay? So pre-screening is completed prior to engaging in a training program or a new sport. Um, the goal of pre-screening is basically, it's an assessment. Uh, it can either be done verbally or usually it's done with a questionnaire, uh, which I didn't write down, but I should write that down. This is in your other notes, by the way, that I've already given you. So remember, you are meant to make your notes off the stuff that I give you and the stuff that I talk about in this video. So pre-screening questionnaire. And the coach or the trainer um, will go through with the athlete uh, and ask a whole bunch of questions and determine their overall like picture of health at the moment. So are they healthy? Are they not healthy? What are the things in their life that makes them unhealthy? What is their past experience with sport? All that kind of stuff. Um, and the idea is that this assessment determines their starting point for their activities and therefore it can be tailored for that individual. So example pre-screening questions, I've just got a few up here. Uh, you know, what is your current participation in sport or physical activity? So has the person not done any type of physical activity at all in the last 10 years? Or do they currently, you know, go walking in the mornings and attend a gym somewhere else for three, four, five days a week? That type of stuff is really important because you know that people who are currently active are going to have a higher level of baseline fitness as opposed to somebody who has been cash potato for 10 years. What's their passports experience? So if somebody is signing up for a gym um, or somebody signing up for um, playing league, you know, in their mid 40s, so they're playing like a master's league competition. And let's say that in the past, they spent 15 years as a junior playing league. So that person already has a little bit of skill and technique and they, they know the general um, motions of a game of rugby league as opposed to somebody who's never played league before. Current, past or reoccurring medical conditions and injuries. So this one is looking at like overall health as well as sports specific stuff. So you can get uh, people who have, you know, different medical conditions, which I'll, I'll go, actually go through down here in the next point, um, but also things like injuries. So if there's an individual who has had like a, a torn ACL and they've, they've gone through surgery for that, then you know that when you are programming lower body activities um, in their sport or training that they probably need to be modified for that person. Surgeries, so that goes along with our injuries one, so whether they've had surgeries or not because that stuff needs to be tailored for, and their overall health status. So. The other things that we are asking are things like, do you smoke? Have you smoked? Do you drink alcohol? How much alcohol do you drink? What's your current blood pressure? Do you have high blood pressure, low blood pressure? Have you had blood pressure problems in the past? Do you have diabetes? Does anyone in your family have diabetes? Asthma, drugs, etc. So all of these questions, um, and usually what happens is, like with a, with a pre-screening questionnaire, is that if you go and sign up for a gym membership, because it's the easy one to explain, they give you like three pages of things you've got to tick boxes. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And it's all pre-screening. 
And what they're really looking for are certain flags. If an athlete or a person is flagged as being high risk, so let's say they experience multiples of these things and they have like no past experience of exercise, that person may be classed as high risk. So they will probably be guided through activity and exercise and, and a training program you know, with a trainer as opposed to somebody who has lots of experience, no high risk factors, they can just get in and do their own training, hunky-dory. So here's my actual example. So an athlete who has high blood pressure and a history of smoking should not start high intensity exercise, um, but gradually build up to it. So you've got somebody who um, joins a swim club. So let's say, um, you know, a swim squad. They want to get fitter, obviously. They do currently have high blood pressure. They don't smoke currently, but they did have smoked for the last 24 years. You don't put them straight into the, the flying squad, okay? It's not you're, not, doing, you're not doing 50s with, you know, 30 seconds rest and then 50s again. That person's going to die. You put them in the basic squad, the slow and steady We've got an hour, let's just complete 10 laps kind of thing. And then over time, you can build them up to the flying squad. It doesn't mean they can never do it. It just means that they shouldn't start it. And that's what tailoring our activity um, is all about. So you can see that by taking the athlete through this questionnaire process and tailoring the activity um, for them and their specific health needs, that we are able to keep them safe. We're able to keep them free from injury and therefore elongate their participation in sport and therefore keep them safe. Cool. All right, so our next one is skill and technique. So efficient movement patterns from correct skill and technique physically prepare athlete for safe participation. It is the role of a coach or trainer to ensure their athletes can perform with correct skill and technique for safety and performance purposes. So what we're talking about is that when you participate in a sport, any, any type of sport activity you can think of, um, or any general movement pattern that you do in sports, you need to do that the right way, okay? And we call it, you know, the textbook way, the way that things should be done. The reason they should be done is twofold. One, to keep the athlete safe, and secondly, to enhance our performance. If athletes use the wrong technique, okay, the two negatives may then appear. One, they have decreased performance because they're not doing it right. And secondly, they're putting extra stress and pressure on part of their bodies, which it doesn't need to be. And therefore, the activity becomes unsafe. Occasionally, skill and technique will need to be modified to accommodate certain conditions. And my example of this is at lowering center of gravity when you're running in, in like wet weather. So um, the field is wet, so logically you, as you run, instead of running up nice and tall, you lower your center of gravity, and what that's doing is increasing your stability, if you remember from your year 11 work, so therefore you're less likely to fall over and slip, okay? Um, and most people who have experience running and then running in wet and dry conditions will do this naturally. So here's my overall example for how skill and technique can impact um, athletic participation and how we sh how therefore this is important to physically prepare our athletes for participation. So a league player uses an improper technique to tackle an opponent and in doing so the person who is doing the tackling so the tackler they fracture their own clavicle on contact with the opponent and they dislocate their shoulder because they've tackled the wrong way so they've put force on their body um, on the hard tissues here as opposed to putting the force using their muscles and stuff with their chest or um, more on the side with their shoulder, and therefore they have actually done some fairly extensive hard tissue damage. 
as opposed to that same league player using a proper skill and technique to tackle the opponent and everything goes um, on accordingly. So you can imagine this league player now, not only are they injured pretty badly, but they're going to be out for weeks, months, maybe even the rest of the season, which would be bad, especially if this is your livelihood and you're trying to make money from being a league player. So that's uh, skill and technique. The next one is physical fitness. So you know that um, in general, everyone needs an overall level of um, total body fitness. But when we're looking at physical preparation, we need to make sure that our athletes have tailored fitness components for their given sport or activity. So each sport and activity has particular health and skill related components of fitness necessary for their safe participation and also good performance. But the focus here is on safety. So athletes are physically prepared when they have attained enough specific fitness to last their performance. So my example to show this is that a marathon runner obviously needs superb cardiorespiratory endurance, um, which is a health-related component of fitness, to participate in their sport of marathon running. If they have inadequate cardiorespiratory endurance to last 42 kilometers, which is the length of the marathon, they're gonna get tired, and if they get tired, they may collapse, and if they collapse, they may get some severe injury, um, or they could die, right, really bad. And you can pick any sport and think of this as an example. So um, another one would be like gymnastics. If a gymnast had inadequate flexibility um, in their joints, then when they went to you know, do the splits or something, they actually may cause a fairly severe strain uh, or sprain um, around their joint areas, which could then count them out for weeks, months, seasons, etc. So physical fitness, specific components, very important. All right, so our last one we're looking at is our warm-up, stretching, and cool-down. So I'll have to do this in three sections um, to address each section for you. So the warm-up is our first one. So a warm-up should focus on the muscles and movements used in specific sports, okay? If I am a soccer player, I'm not gonna spend 30, 40 minutes warming up my shoulders. That would be dumb. An effective warm-up would enhance participation, or sorry, will enhance participation and reduce the likelihood of injury by these four things. Increasing blood flow around the body and oxygen specifically um, to our working muscles. Increasing our core body temperature, so the higher your body temperature is, um, the more elastic that your muscles, ligaments, tendons, the soft tissues of your bodies become. Uh, next one is enhanced mental preparation. So instead of you just like getting straight into a game, you've got time to get focused, get ready. Um, and then by doing all three of these things, we should actually be able to enable our athlete to start their performance at their peak, as opposed to taking 10, 15 minutes into their performance to actually get going. So an example of an effective warm-up, there are three stages for an effective warm-up, uh, and we will repeat this again when we do warm-up later on in Core 2. So the first stage is our light aerobic activity. So it goes for about five to 10 minutes, okay? Um, the goal there is to increase the core body temperature and the blood flow around the body, so we're hitting these two points here. The, a good way to know whether you are, have done a, an appropriate light aerobic activity, because it, is, it does say five to 10 minutes, it's not a really hard, fast thing, is that when you start to feel like sweat on your brow, so your temperature has picked up that much, so you can start to feel beating sweat, that means that you are warm up 
warmed up enough from step one. So then let's move on. Step two is the stretching routine using dynamic or PNF protocol. So we're not doing static stretching here, okay? Static stretching prior to performance has actually shown to decrease performance because it relaxes you as opposed to getting you ready. So we're focusing on dynamic movements or PNF, um, stretching proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation, if you remember from year 11, to increase our range of motion in our working muscles. So I'll give you an example down here for that one. And our third one is our sport specific movements and skills to adequately prepare athletes um, physically and mentally for their actual sports. So we're not just doing some random stuff. So an example of what an effective warm would look like for a soccer player. 10 minute jog until they start to feel their, their brow sweating a little bit. Doing some dynamic movements. Uh, so leg swings, so you've got forward and back and you've got across the body. Um, leg swings and you've also got lunges you've got a whole bunch of stuff that you can do um, ankle rolls etc and then our third one being sport specific skills so we're going to do some dribbling work but we're also going to do some um, agility cones and then we're going to combine it two we're going to do some agility work while we're dribbling a ball etc then you can do some striking and you know, depending on what position you're playing but yeah so that's our warm-up so now we're getting into stretching So I know I said I was gonna go through stretching, but I decided to go through cool down first um, because the stretching component goes into warm up and cool down. So I might as well cover them both at the same time. So your cool down, your cool down component. So an effective cool down returns the body to a state of pre-play, so pre-exercise, and starts the recovery process sooner. The sooner an athlete recovers, the sooner they can train again. So you can imagine you're an, you're an elite athlete, uh, for example. If you're an elite athlete, you've got two elite athletes. They're both the same level, they both do the same thing now, currently at this point. One of them trains three times a week and they need four recovery days. This one trains four times a week, needs three recovery days because their cool down routine is better. Over the course of a year, or even course of four years, you look at the Olympics, this person gets like weeks, weeks of extra training because their recovery and their cool down routine is simply better. And therefore, over time, this one makes more progress than this one, and this one, this athlete is therefore better. So cool down is very important. What it's actually doing physiologically, um, and you, can, you may have experienced this yourself, is that it A, reduces DOMS. So DOMS is delayed onset muscle soreness. So that's basically when you have a bunch of lactic acid sitting in your muscle and you don't get rid of it at the end of exercise. About 18 to 24 hours later, you start to get sore in that muscle, and then it peaks between 24 and 36 hours. So... You may like go and do a hard gym session on Monday night, you wake up Tuesday morning, you feel fine. By the time you get to the end of your school day on Tuesday, it's starting to get a bit sore. And then like that night, you're like, wow, I'm, I can hardly move. And then you wake up Wednesday morning and you literally can't get out of bed and you call in sick. So that's, that's really bad DOMS, okay? Um, which can be avoided with good cool down. Other things like fatigue, um, tightness, so you can feel your muscles just tight in the body, etc., which causes you to move different ways. And if you're moving different ways because you've got tight muscles, then you may actually cause another injury. So a good cool down routine, two steps, um, and it sort of reverse mimics um, the warm up. So we're gonna do some light aerobic activity again for five to 10 minutes. We're not trying to get a sweaty brow this time. Um, simply walking or like really slow bike riding is acceptable too. And the idea is that we're promoting blood flow around the body. And as blood moves through the body, we're actually removing byproducts from our muscles, um, from energy production, such as lactic acid, and therefore we're promoting healing because when we remove the byproducts, we're putting fresh blood into our muscles and fresh blood is what's going to promote healing, which reduces our DOMS. And the other thing we're gonna do now is our static stretching routine. 
So static stretching elongates our muscles. So um, it can increase flexibility overall um, over a long period of time. Um, but also it's just relaxing your tense muscle groups, okay? So if you've done like a lot of leg activity or leg work or whatever, and then you stretch your legs afterwards, okay? You're releasing the tension. And by releasing the tension in that muscle, you're then promoting blood flow, which promotes healing, which reduces DOMS, tightness, all that kind of stuff. So I'll just quickly cover arm stretching too before we wrap this video up. All right, so our last component is stretching and I have already covered them in the two bits, but I'll just do it just quickly here. So stretching can cause increased flexibility long-term. So you need to stretch sort of every day, um, holding each static stretch for 20 to 30 seconds um, to actually get an increase in flexibility. If you don't do it any more than that, you're sort of not gonna get there. But also stretching, um, if you do have an increased flexibility, you do have a reduced chance of injury. Now that's not to say that hyperflexibility, so if you are like double jointed, which basically means you're just over flexible in a joint, that actually comes with an increased chance of injury. So we're not trying to increase flexibility to the point where we're too flexible, but we're just trying to increase flexibility to the point where we don't have tightness in basic general movements. So stretching is completed in our two areas, the warm up and the cool down. So the warm up stretches, which I've already covered, should mainly be centered around dynamic stretches that take the muscles and the joints through a full range of motion, preparing them for their activity, okay? So, you know, if I'm a cyclist and I know that I'm gonna be doing, you know, this, mo this motion a lot with my knee as I'm pedaling up and down on the bike here, then I probably wanna do some dynamic stretches, you know, for my quad, my calves, and centered around that knee joint and my hip joint to make sure that when I do that in intense activity during my cycling, that I don't hurt myself. In the cool down stretching, uh, it is static stretches designed to elongate and relax the muscles and the tendons, which enhances our recovery and promotes increased flexibility. All right, so then for next time, we already have our decreased chance of injury. So yeah, there, they were our points based on physical preparation and what athletes should be doing prior to exercise um, and prior to engaging in training programs to ensure that they can do so safely and with a reduced chance of injury. Thanks, bye.